This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 81 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have two icons of the horse industry. Both of them have resumes as long as my left arm and my right arm, and, uh, and they have been huge influencers. With the show. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about that today. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Well into 2017 and having a lot of fun getting ready for all the excitement we have coming up. This is neat. It's, it's, a, it's a new year. It's a new beginning. It's a new start. Yeah. We're going to yeah. build on what we've gotten in 2016. Very excited. Yeah, we exactly right. You know, couldn't have done 2017 without 2016. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and that's not just a farcical statement. There you go. Uh, really, there were so many great seeds planted in 2016 that um, we are going to be reaping a lot of the benefits in 2017. And a lot of it, it was um, reacquainting with people that have long been in the industry, have maybe outlasted a lot of the industry, you know, mm-hmm. they've, they've done so well for so long and, you know, it's time for some of us youngsters, huh, Jen, right? <laughs> some of us, <laughs> some of us youngsters to, you know, reach into their experience, uh, bucket and mm-hmm. see if we can, if we can glean a little bit of their perspective and, um, and I, I think what's fun about today's guests is that they they are just that, the definition of being able to have a long-term perspective now, and they're looking back at youth and saying, wow, you know, I was able to come for 35 years through all of this and get simpler and simpler. Or um, our other guests said things about like, gosh, I'm reaching out to people who are still older than me even and giving them recognition for influencing my life. And I I guess really that's what I mean by influencers. They may have been loud about it, obvious about it, or they might not have at all. It might be something that you kind of have to think about and then go give them credit for because you realize that's where it came from. Yes, um, it was fun to listen listen in on these these interviews that we're going to listen to today. I hope everybody else does too. This is one that um, listen to it while you can focus a little bit because there's all sorts of wonderful nuggets on it. It's it will cause you to reflect on mm. what an influencer is because I had one concept of what an influencer was, and after listening to both of our guests today. Um, it, it changed a little bit and it broadened a little bit. And I realized that there are so many people who influenced my equestrian life that I never, it never occurred to me. It's like, oh, wow, that person had an enormous impact on who I am today. And it, it never occurred to me that they did until I listened to what Monty had to say about some of his, uh, pe- the pe- some of the people in his life that influenced how, who he has become. And then with Miss uh, Moffitt, I always wanted to say that, Miss Moffat. <laughs> I thought about her, her um, devotion to creating change within the mm-hmm. equestrian instructors community. How and how we teach riding and what we teach. Again, 
made me think a little more broadly about what a writing instructor is. Mm-hmm. What were some of your light bulb moments? Can you tell us without spoiling everything? I don't want to make any spoilers. Um, okay. <laughs> an influencer can be someone um, that made a contribution to your life and probably many, many others that seemed to the rest of the world quite silent. We always think of influencers as people who have enormous personalities and mm. a broad mm-hmm. range and, a, and get written down in history books and things like that. When in fact, very, very important influences. It's, it made me think back at the, the, in physics, there's a theory about if a butterfly flaps his wings. Yeah. Um, that can change the weather on the other side of the earth or something to that effect. Oh, and I didn't hear that. <laughs> influencers do that. They, they do many, right. many, many small things throughout their lives, which create perhaps small changes for a lot of people, but those small changes in turn end up being enormous changes later in life. And I thought, wow, right. what a what an interesting retrospective to look back at those people and then try to become one of them. You mm-hmm. know, because not everybody's cut out to be Monty Roberts or someone who's in the public eye. Yeah, big stage. Uh-huh. Big stage. Some of us are cut out to be the person who influences others in a more quiet way, but it is no less important. That's right. That's, That's right. what I learned. Like a lot of moms out there, you know, who who uh, keep their kids in line so they grow up to be good Absolutely. people, and right. you know, we, we're going to give we're going to give credit to everybody today. Yeah, but mo- <laughs> sure, moms and um, our second guest uh, alluded a little bit to riding instructors. Yeah, the riding instructor who is coaching a Olympic team or one whose students go on and are Olympic riders, those people are the, the public influencers, the ones with the personalities and the ones we hear about and read about in our magazines, but are the riding instructors who thoroughly and properly teach beginners all of those important lessons are just as important because without those, we never get the Olympians. That's right. And also, this is a shout-out to all those people who – are influencers who never um, do it in a negative way. In other words, they don't put other people down in order to bring themselves up. You know, they actually work very quietly in the background and that's their influence, isn't it? You know, that they they were always polite. They're always building character for themselves. And then how how often have we heard about someone just, if we're going to stay within our own niche in the horse world, and this this is across all aspects of life, They wanted to ride. They wanted to become a good horseman. And they had a negative experience with uh, someone who was in a a mentor's role. And it discouraged them. Or they stopped riding. Or they went down a bad path. So if you don't, if you're not, you need to look at yourself as an influencer regardless. Even if all you're doing is, all you're doing. If you're you're the riding instructor who's out there teaching putt-putts, doing up-downs at riding camp in the summer... And you teach 200 kids in a year over the summer. 199 of those kids might never get on a horse again. But the 200th, if you do your job well and positively and encouragingly um, and um, with uh, without the rose-colored glasses on, but still encouraging that person, that person might go on to be the Olympian someday. But if that experience had been negative, might not have been. Might not have been. Absolutely. 
And the last point I'll make too, before we bring them in here, so, because I hope we have people on the edge of their seat to hear this, uh, but is that the top, top, top instructors should really be influencing the the little up downs, you know, the mm-hmm. the little guy who's starting out. Because if we could start at the beginning with the best instruction, we would actually get further ahead in the industry. So that maybe our teaching is a little upside down that way too. And how do we get the best instructors to encourage those little beginners at the beginning and and build a great industry from it? I have to think about that. There's a lot, a lot of light bulb stuff in these two interviews. I'm very excited about it. Um, And I've already listened to them. So let's get started. Let's go. Right after this from IFA.com. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts Willing Partners graduate. He's a sugar bear. (laughs) You know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you your temperament, and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the risk capacity survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an index fund advisors. Or you can call us toll free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. Known as the man who listens to horses, Monty Roberts is the creator of the world-renowned and revolutionary equine training technique called Join Up. Monty travels the world demonstrating that nonviolent, gentle training creates breakthrough performance as you partner with your horse. Monty grew up on a working horse farm as a firsthand witness to traditional, often violent methods of horse training and breaking, breaking the spirit with an abusive hand. And rejecting that, he went on to win nine world's championships in the show ring. Today, Monty's goal is to share that his message is that violence is never the answer. Roberts has been encouraged by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II with the award called the Membership in the Royal Victorian Order. And she became also the patron of Join Up International. Other honors received were the ASPCA Founders Award and the MSPCA George T. Engel Humanitarian Award, and Monty is credited with launching the first of its kind, Equus Online University. It's an interactive online lesson site that is the definitive learning tool to violence-free training. Well, welcome, Dad, Monty Roberts. How's it going? It's going fine, Debbie. Nice to speak with you. Good to speak with you again. It's been days. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's been like one day, I think. So we we kind of got our heads together and, and put a plan together to share some information with the listeners because I hadn't caught up with you for a few weeks anyway, up on uh, Horsemanship Radio. We wanted to pull you out here. I was thinking at first that we were going to talk a lot about 2017, all the things that you were going to be able to accomplish in 2017 leading into Gentling Wild Horses courses that you have coming up in the summer and starting off with February where we have the uh, certified instructors coming for their conference from all over the world and and uh, that we also have Laos Kashai coming from Hungary to do his 
demonstration of archery in the the old style Hungarian thing. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, how are we going to pack all that in? And then I thought, wait a minute. You just went on this incredible pilgrimage up to Northern Cal for just a few hours. And I think that should take our whole interview because it was so important. Well, it was important, Debbie. And um, I would want your listeners to somehow transpose themselves to their 82nd year, which I'm in now, because um, I've discovered that we think a lot differently uh, in our 82nd year than we do in our 52nd year or 42nd year, uh, which many of your listeners would be in. So please understand that when you pass that 80 mark or when you euphemistically, when you start to finish up what you've done here on this globe of ours, certain things become far more important to you than they were in the early days. And when I wrote my first book, um, Sister Agnes Patricia was in fact, and still is, the most influential person in my life. But it's a long race that we're in here, Mm -hmm. and um, there's someone closing very fast, uh, because Queen Elizabeth II, Queen of England, has been so influential to me that she's neck and neck with Sister Agnes Patricia now, which uh, neither one of them care about or know about. Um, That's okay. But I know because they influence me to be who I am. And I could be someone very different if I'd have allowed allowed my, my, my life to be influenced by other people. And I had a lot of people in my life that would have taken me down paths very different from where I actually traveled. Right. We should, explain, think, we should explain that Sister Agnes Patricia was your eighth grade school teacher. Well, she was, and she was more than that, because from the age of nine, she kept me from killing my father and put me on a course to accept uh, nonviolence in my life, which I hadn't had a time of that prior. Um, Until I was about 13, uh, violence was the centerpiece of my life with a father that used violence against me uh, diabolically. Right. And uh, Sister Agnes Patricia read my manuscript of my first book, but didn't see it between covers because of her death um, in 1995. And uh, the book was launched in 96 in, in England, and she didn't see the finished publication. But she was so proud of me reading the transcript, the, the, the um, uh, typewritten pages, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I visited with her with my manuscript in uh, Watsonville, California in 1995, just before her death at 83 years of age. And um, she she was incredible uh, for me. Uh, looking back on it, I never would have been anything like the person I am now without her influence. Mm. And certainly the Queen of England since 1989, 28 years now, has really influenced my life massively. And as I say, is running neck and neck for the most influential. But you you look back, Debbie, at this point in time, and you start saying, who were those people that were not so flamboyant or not so upfront about it all, but humble people that 
simply moved along under the current, so to speak, and really influenced your life. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I realized how influential John Brazil Jr. was to me. I, I first met him in 1948. I remember the event. It was in July. I remember the event very well because he came to Salinas, California, to the competition grounds where I was born and raised. And he had been working for uh, Cutter Laboratories. Um, they were an organization that had a lot of animals because they created uh, medicines for the animals, Cutter Laboratories, from up in the Oakland area, Livermore. Mm -hmm. And there was a family there, Frank Santos Sr., and his oldest son, Russ Santos, and his younger son, Frankie Jr. The Santos boys were influential in the rain cow horses of early California because they worked the cattle for Cutter Laboratories. And they came to the shows, and these guys were talented, man. And um, they had a young guy working for them by the name of John Brazil Jr. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had married a, a lady uh, by the name of Lori uh, in 1946. And two years later, in 1948, he comes there with a group of horses that were just incredible for their, their day, and he won everything in sight. And he suddenly became a hero for me, uh, this incredibly uh, talented young man, very athletic, very small but riding those big horses and working cattle like I'd never seen before. And yet he was very quiet, um, very underspoken, extremely humble. And uh, as I went through my competition life and right on through to the retirement from competition, I realized that John Brazil Jr. really influenced me. You never heard a bad word about anybody from John Brazil Jr. And the horse showing business was filled with criticisms and uh, people who, speaking, who were speaking out to put themselves in a higher position what, by mm -hmm. knocking someone else down, mm -hmm. um, talking to the judges in the meantime about how bad Monty Roberts stopped his horses or, <laughs> or uh, you know, crazy things like this. And there were a lot of those kind of people. John Brazil Jr. was not that and is not that today. And I only discovered from a conversation with Al Dunning um, while Jamie from your radio was here Jamie on Jennings. our property. Oh, that's Jamie right, Jennings, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and um, we were talking to Al Dunning and Al told me that he discovered that John Brazil at 95 was <laughs> still alive and his wife beside him, um, something less than 95, which she doesn't want to talk about. Okay. <laughs> but um, they're, they're both over 90, let's say. And they are a dream couple living in a little house in Geyserville, California. And he's still working with horses. Yeah. And Al right. Dunning told me uh, that he had a, uh, a hoist that he developed to get his saddle up on the horse because he no longer could put it up there. Um, so... I said, Pat, you got to get his details. You got to get his numbers and find John Brazil Jr. He's suddenly become very important to me because I realize that he's the one that instilled in me a obligation 
within myself never to criticize another horseman by name uh, in public. Mm-hmm. In private conversations, if you want to say what you think about somebody's w- work in one way or another, that's one thing. But to go forward and try to bring another person down in an effort to enhance your own position, I- I'm obsessed with not doing that. And I don't do it. And it's because of John Brazil, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So Pat and I made a trip up there, eight hours this way and eight hours back, and Pat drove every mile of it, and I have to thank her for that. But we spent about five or six hours, seven hours, with John and Lori Brazil. And um, like I say, he's still got 20, 30 head of cattle there that he's taken care of to work his horses with. And you and I both know he's not going to go off and show these horses in competition. But he's doing what he loves to do. He's still working them and training on them. and Yeah. He goes out there and gets them out of the stall and takes them out for me. (laughs) And he's got a bad hip right now, and he can't get on uh, at the moment. But he says he's going to get on again. And I I have to believe him. Um, But he's he's leading some pretty rambunctious uh, babies around, and he's still working with them and getting along fine. But still talking very well about everybody and congratulating those that have moved on and improved. And Debbie, teaching his horses to come to the mounting block like I teach mine to do, that's a new thing in the world. And the, the horse comes to the mounting block and sideways passes up to present you with the stirrup. So he's got his horses all doing that and proud of it. And there's his hoist made to lift his saddle up to get it on the horse. I may need to and, get this pattern for that. I'd like to. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's yeah, <laughs> well, me too. But, um, but uh, Debbie, not enough people know about those humble characters mm-hmm. who are gliding along under the current and they listen too much to those of us that wax on and I've become very famous and uh, have um, uh, best-selling books and everything, mm-hmm. and I call my my methods by a name. And, you know, I didn't realize how public I am compared to a guy like John Brazil. Mm-hmm. And the value of not being public is tremendous. It is absolutely tremendous. The bad thing about it is that it's hard to influence a lot of people yeah to go your way if you're totally under the current. So I've become, for me, inside of me, his mouthpiece. And I'm using this as the first time I've discussed it. Uh, I'm using this as an opportunity to bring John Brazil's uh, presence and his his personality um, to the world. Um, Here's a guy who... I I never saw whip a horse. I never saw him. I saw him using traditional concepts, that's for sure, because that's what we had. Mm -hmm. And that's all we knew. But he was never an overtly violent man, either to horse or human, and not to the dog that he still trains and things like that. Mm -hmm. It was an incredible visit that brought back so many things to me. Mm -hmm. And he goes on the list now 
as closing in on Queen Elizabeth II and it, <laughs> and uh, Sister Agnes Patricia, Patricia and yeah. others that have influenced me. Um, well, tell me, tell me I about am. yeah, tell me about some of of his. It sounds like Al Dunning might have been a bit mentored by him. Certainly influenced and and uh, um, probably taught him a few things, at least in character. Who else do you know over the years? Who was around Johnny Brazil at the time, and and who do you think came well, along because of him? Well, obviously, at 95, you know, he doesn't have very many people that were around him in those early days. They're all gone, Don Dodge. Older ones, um, yeah. Older ones, gone. But um, I'm sure Bobby Ingersoll, he's still alive, and, and um, others of, of, you know, relatively close to my age, Mm-hmm. were influenced by him. Greg Ward, for instance, and um, and people like that were influenced by him, whether they know it or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I get so upset with those people that um, say, and Bobby Ingersoll is one of the people that says that I don't respect tradition. Ah. And I say you can respect tradition without throwing it out or failing to move on and improve yourself, um, you can still respect tradition. So it is important to me to show that John Brazil respected tradition all the way through. Mm -hmm. And yet he found a way to constantly improve his horsemanship until he was still competing in his 80s. Oh, was he? He was still competing. Yeah, he, he, he was still competing, not like he did, um, you know, in so many shows or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But um, he was in the Snaffle Bit Futurity, and um, gosh, I think he won a trailer in it in 1983 or something mm-hmm. like that. So looking back on it 20 years ago, um, he was still very active. And... Um, so he influenced a lot of people, whether they like it or accept it or not. And uh, John Brazil and Bobby Ingersoll and Al Dunning all received my uh, annual award that I give out for those that um, choose to work with horses in a nonviolent manner. And whether anybody likes that or not, and I know that there are trainers today who would still say a horse needs a good beating every now and then uh, just to keep them in line. And they would go on to say that children need the same thing. Well, we're moving on, folks. And (laughs) there is no necessity for violence. There's just simply none. And nonviolence in the use of training horses will produce you a horse that does it because they want to and not because they're forced to. Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, they they give it a better performance, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm watching uh, the Snafflebit Futurity this year, and I'm watching um, the man who actually wound up winning it um, go down and stop his horse, and then realize that his hat was dislodged and uh. still on his head. But sorry, ah uh, yes, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, and um, and he let his horse stand there while he adjusted his hat. And then he spun like a top and realized that the hat, not fitting very well, I guess, was dislodged again. So he just let him stop and stand there and then adjusted it and went on. And if we'd have done that in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and 70s, 
when when I was still showing, uh, we would have been marked way down. Maybe we would have been zeroed out because uh, we went off course, they would call it. Where today, people are allowing the horse a chance. And you don't see the pulling to stop like you used to see. The reins are loose. If, if you see a horse go down there and brace himself and lift his front end and get pulled in the mouth, his points go down. Congratulations, Rain Cow Horse Association. Yes. And all of the organizations, dressage is changing, show jumping is changing, polo is changing. Congratulations to all of them who have discovered that the flight animal does not need violence. And John Brazil Jr. is one of those people that started that little germ of understanding that way back in 1948 when I watched him win. He won, Debbie, he won the Hackamore class in Salinas, right there on the grounds where I lived. And he won the heavyweight stock horse class, that's the rain cow horse class for heavyweight horses they had at that time. And he won the lightweight open bridle horse thing. And then there was a novice bridle horse thing. And he won that. Um, so then when I ask him, you know, cause I'm, I'm a genius and I've done everything and I've won all the things <laughs> and I won eight world championships in the rain cow horse division. Right. That's wonderful. He's one twenty. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah uh, who am I? Yeah. I? I? I'm a neophyte. Um, it's true that I've gone on and had world champion horses in racing, and world champion horses in rodeo, big time. I mean, that horse Scotty that I had uh, went on to have, I think, four and a half million or something earned off his back. Uh, in the bulldogging and, 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 and I've gone right across the spectrum, led the world for 18 years in the production of, uh, horse, young horses for racing at Hollywood parks sale, uh, which was a March sale. And your mother and I had, uh, led the world in that for 18 years. So that's wonderful, Mr. Roberts. But where did you get your information from people like John Brazil, John Brazil. Jr.? Yeah, one of your world championships, wasn't that on Nightmist? Two of them. Two and of Night, your world. Uh-huh. Two of my world championships were on Nightmist. And his boss, John Brazil's boss, died in, um, I don't know, I think it was about 1974 or, no, no, sorry. It was in 1966, uh, his boss, W.D. Dana, who owned the Empire State Building died, right. and they had a they had a, a sale of all of his horses. And I bought Nightmiss, already trained by John Brazil and shown in the Hackamore by him. And I I put her in the bridle, and won two world championships with her in the bridle, working cow horse. <laughs> and that mare won thirty one contests in succession. In succession. I don't think in succession. <laughs> I don't think it's ever been done since that time, but, um, it, she was incredible. And John Brazil and I were like partners in that effort. Mm. Mm. So he, he started Nightmist. He probably started her and he started Nightmist. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. He bought her from Perry Cotton to Larry, California. She was by uh, midnight the second, and out of a lucky Blanton mare called Night Mist, she's buried here on this farm. Yeah. And she produced, when bred to Johnny Tivio, two world champions. Mm. Night Mist did. Yeah. So it just goes on and on. Yeah. And and yet, you know, Johnny will sit there and just say, well, it was nice, and I did okay, and he didn't write any books. He didn't uh, start any uh, organizations like me. He's just an underspoken, humble human But he kind of did, though. He kind of did because he influenced you. And I think that's part of the point here is that influencers are influencers. And they can create amazing legacies and, and, and lasting, lasting character in, in a lot of different people. We just need to recognize that. We just need to oh, find there's them no and question. hold them up. And, mm-hmm. and Debbie, uh, the people that I had in my life that could have influenced me to be another kind of person were everywhere I looked. Mm-hmm. You know, I had people who, who were absolute criminals that um, made a lot of money throughout my existence. I've had people offer me huge sums under the table uh, for things that could have influenced me to go a different direction. Uh, but Sister Agnes Patricia would not have been happy in, right. in heaven <laughs> if I'd have done that. And, exactly. uh, and so we all can be influenced. And the gang kids on the streets of Chicago right now are being influenced by, by people around them all the time to be negative, to be horrible, to kill one another. Uh, so everybody should respect the power of influence. Mm -hmm. And uh, in my opinion, Queen Elizabeth II has been more influential for good than any world leader that ever lived. Especially especially with animals. I mean, there's I don't think anybody will ever beat her for that. She's outlived everybody else. That that, that one is (laughs) a uh, clear win. But but for people too, I mean, here she, at my request, she gives a, um, a wonderful uh, reception for the head of the police of, of Sao Paulo, Brazil, mm-hmm. Maurizio Perez, and uh, she gives him a beautiful certificate for using my books, which she influenced, to retrain the people down there not to use violence on the street, and they were killing 4,000 people a year in, mm-hmm. in Sao Paulo. And uh, three years after my uh, books were used to teach the new recruits going onto the street, they had zero gun-related incidences in the third year of their performance. And the queen was extremely happy about that. Mm -hmm. So here I am trying to be that mouthpiece for people, humble people like John Brazil, Whose, whose voices are only heard through those of us that choose to make them uh, uh, the public aware of them. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. I, I have one last question that I'd be remiss in not asking before um, I take too much more of your time, but um, there, there must be a sort of a overarching answer to this question, but it comes up so often when you hear about greatness in horse trainers or greatness in horses. What's the highest reward for a horse? What motivates them the most, in your opinion? Well, in my opinion, horses are most gratified when everything is going fun for them. 
And if somehow you can create, and I think uh, cutting, for instance, where you leave your hand down and you don't rein them, I think Johnny Tivio had fun with the cutting, really had fun with it. Uh, I think Chrome, the horse that I ride right now, uh, has fun with cutting. He he looks over the fence at the cattle and sort of like says to me, let's go do that, you know. <laughs> um, horse is having fun, and it's no fun to get hit. It's no fun to have a pair of spurs drive through your skin. That's not fun at all. But if you can cause things to be fun for your horse, that's the most gratifying time in their life. Um, I don't mean that you have to treat them like people and take them into the house with you and, and call that fun. No, learn their language. Learn what moves them. Learn what makes them feel good. And then you will learn what to do with them. It's not stuffing treats down their throat. I can tell you that. Um, food is no reward because no blade of grass has ever run from a horse. So reward comes from things like dropping your eyes and walking away. What? Walking away? That sounds rude. No, it doesn't because no predator can drop their eyes and walk away after making contact. So the horse will come and follow you and then a rub between the eyes where they can't see their body between their eyes. They love that and they love to be loved by you, but treat them like a horse and not like another human. Mm, Perfect. Thank you. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for your story. And now we've got to get on with 2017 and have you back to talk about all these things that are upcoming and and all the things that you will have done. I know we need two or three of these sessions to tell you what's (laughs) happening in 2017. I'm getting ready to pack my bags, you know, and go to Brazil. And um, I'm, I'm taking Joanna along with us because um, she's going to be working on the, on the next book and I've got to find a, a literary agent and I'm going at this thing like killing snakes because I, I really want to produce another book that's, um, you know, right for me and tells the full story now because more things have happened to me since the first book was printed than happened to me before the first that's right. book was printed. That's so right. I've got, uh, I, I've got a lot to do. And at 82, I got to keep taking my supplements and uh, yes. you know visiting my doctor and trying to be with you as long as I can. But I also have to recognize the fact that the calendar goes on. But the queen is ninety, and maybe I'll make it to that. Yeah, and Johnny Brazil, you know, would say, "Suck it up." He's doing fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he is. He has no mercy for me. And All right, age business. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, thank you very much. We've taken a lot of your time, and I appreciate you being on Horsemanship Radio. Oh, that's okay, Debbie. I was pleased to be here and um, keep up the good work. And um, thank you for having me on. Your horse is your partner in sport, in leisure, and just in life. To keep him at his peak performance and optimal health, a solid nutritional foundation is key. Ideally, horses are able to graze fresh, growing grasses, which most closely mimic their natural diet. But that may not always be possible, and we may need to supply some of those missing ingredients in today's diets and provide more functional foods. One component of a horse's diet that is often underfed are omega-3 fatty acids. While more prevalent in fresh forages, harvested forages are lower in omega-3 fatty acids 
due to their more advanced maturity. Obviously, grasses and legumes have to grow to a sufficient height in order to be harvested, while foraging patterns of horses show great preference for shorter, less mature plants. That's why modern horsemen and horsewomen trust Omega Horse Shine to provide a powerful, bountiful source of omega-3 fatty acids for their equine partners. Look for Omega Horse Shine from Omega Fields at your local Tack and Feet supplier, or you can find them online at omegafields.com. Heather Moffat began riding as a young child in the UK, but by her early teens was questioning the methods being used to teach. By the age of 16, she had developed a different method of teaching riding, especially how to synchronize exactly with the movement of the horse. This enabled her to teach beginners with extraordinary speed and also to rectify long-established faults in experienced riders. More than 20 years ago, she pioneered the teaching of riding with equisimulators. That's machines which simulate the movement of the horse, enabling very precise hands-on teaching and in total safety, successfully teaching hundreds of riders all over the world. She is the founder of Enlightened Equitation. Well, welcome, Heather Moffat. I'm glad to have you back. Hi, Debbie. And it's very nice to talk to you again. So, uh, and thank you for asking me. Yeah, of course. I, I we were we were co-talking a little bit with another person that's a blogger down in Australia, and you're known all. Oh ah, yeah, yeah, Jane. <laughs> Is it Jane? Yeah. Okay, there we go. Yeah, yeah. and um, we're just excited to have you back because um, we we had just a short interview before. People can go back to episode sixty three of Horsemanship Radio yeah. and revisit that and get to know Heather a little bit. Uh, again. And then, um, and, and I'm sure, you know, as active as you are on Facebook and all the other social medias and as many students as you have out there in the world, all your Mm. tentacles out there. Um, a lot of people I know know who you are and what you do, but we wanted to get a little bit deeper into Heather Moffat Moffat's, um, concepts and some of the accomplishments that you've had and, uh, and teach us a little bit more, Heather, today. I'd I'd love to hear a little bit more about enlightened equitation and what you're working on today. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm all all ready. (laughs) So, um, as I said earlier, you'll have to excuse me because I've got a stinking cold here, which is very, I haven't had one for years. So I'm a bit croaky. I do ap- apologize to the audience. <laughs> you sound great. They, you know, we all love yeah. the English accent anyway. We're, we're not okay. going to get past that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no worries. So, yeah, um, you know, I'm sort of working on this new project, the online riding school, which um, it's uh, going to build up into a library of films right the way through from hopefully we'll do a beginner's series at some point. At the moment, I'm just working basically through the chapters of my book, Enlightened Equitation, sort of following pretty much the pattern um, of lessons. They're only fairly short um, videos so that they're not too difficult to um, assimilate at one time um, on, you know, subjects right the way through that are covered in the book chapters. And uh, so from then on, we'll probably start doing extra series as well. My yard manager, Kay Brown, is an expert in in long reining and long lining through to long reining. In fact, she trained uh, pretty extensively with Kelly Marks um, before she came uh, to me. And so, but she's now gone on to do the classical long reining as well. And I plan to do some in hand work as well um, so that uh, we can cover the whole gamut of things. But um, as 
you probably remember from last year when I was at um, invited to do Monty's um, instructors convention a day and uh, you know I was talking about how important it is that the rider learns to synchronize with the movement of the horse and that's something that is still so badly taught and uh, obviously I, I pioneered the teaching of riding with horse movement simulators 20 years ago now right. I've taught literally thousands um, as far afield as America and Australia um, on the simulators as well as obviously on horses um, and you know having the machines has made a big difference to how I teach because it means that hands-on I could actually um, show people precisely the movements of the lower back and the pelvis that enable them to then synchronize their movements totally with the horse so that they appear to be doing nothing um, and uh, also they're far more secure so it's much safer and uh, you know it's also much more elegant to look at and um, so the whole thing looks altogether much more harmonious so mm-hmm. but it's just so much kind of the horse and that for me is always the bottom line yeah good so, uh, uh, I love the story about how you were watching the old westerns on TV bringing oh yeah US, US play into this uh, and mm-hmm. that you felt like the the riders looked like they were one with the horse and you thought um yeah. you were reaching to your traditionalist there in England but you you looked at that and went that looks fun right well it was more the fact that I thought that they looked very glued to the saddle over mm-hmm. even you know, very rough um, terrain. And I was sort of analysing what they were doing with their backs that I probably wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I realised one day that they were actually um, absorbing the movement through the flexion of the lower back. Um, and at the time, I didn't realise how much it also really involves, the, particularly in sitting trot, which obviously the Western riders don't do quite so much of. Um, um, not it's it's more to do as well with the rising and the falling of the seat bones separately with the two sides of the horse's back mm-hmm. and the flexion of the the back so that the rider then just is completely in sync with the movement and it was through watching cowboy films that I went out on actually on my father's hunter and I was mucking about on a friend's race exercise saddle and uh, so I'd got my stirrups up like a jockey and <laughs> then I suddenly realised that whatever I was doing, I was suddenly much more glued to the saddle than I had been. And uh, so, of course, rushed back to the stables and, and put a normal saddle on and went off and practised again. And then I realised that whatever I was doing seemed to be what the best best riders did. And uh, then went off again a couple of days later and sort of practiced the same thing with canter so that I was able to sit much more glued and much quieter in, in the saddle. And that just sort of sparked my interest. And I'm, I'm sort of, I was sort of the sort of child that took my toys to bits to find out how they worked. <laughs> and so I suppose I did the same with riding, really. You know, I just, um, I've always had a very analytical brain for somebody who was an absolute dunderhead at maths. Um, I don't quite know where I got it from, to be honest. Um, but curiosity. I, to, I think you're a good yeah, curiosity. Yeah, very curious. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I like to find out how things work. And so I suppose that's what I did. And, you know, I've taught literally thousands of people now in 46 year career. And, um, you know, I mean, it's it's so simple um, in how we teach it and it's it it works. That's the thing. I mean, I don't know if you've seen. Um, in fact, I did put a bit on on the online riding school, too, which uh, I must give you a subscription so you can have a look at it. <laughs> um, I, play. I, I and, did have a little uh, play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm sure we can we can give you a bigger one. Um, okay. But uh, Rishabh Sharma, who's my um, saddler, who makes my flexi saddles in India. Um, 
he'd never ever sat on a horse before. He was 26, I think, at the time. And I put him on the simulator for two short sessions, about 20 minutes each, then put him on one of my Lusitano schoolmasters the following day on the lunge. He would never have known he has never been on a horse before. And it's because, you know, instead of just saying nebulous things like sit deeper or relax your lower back or go with the movement or follow the movement, that's even more stupid because normally if you're behind following something, you're behind it. Mm. Um, you know, we teach people precisely what to do. And so, of course, it, it takes the guesswork out of learning. It's, you know, it's just not rocket science. And I use a very simple equation. If you put two and two together in sync, you make one. Put two and yeah. two together out of sync and you make a mess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. You know, so, but it's, for me, it's it's become a real, um, what should I say, I'm, I'm very particular about it, you know, with my own enlightened equitation teachers because we have, you know, we do teacher training. And um, so, you know, the, the first level, as far as I'm concerned, is to teach the, the, the actual rider. But that to me is by far the most important level because a friend of mine in Holland, he could actually, I could easily put him up to our level four, which means he could train all the Grand Prix movements and everything. But I said to him, if he wants to do the teacher training, he's got to do level one first. Because for me, beginners are by far and away the most important of all people. Unfortunately, they're often relegated to the lowest of the low, in, low instructors or even working students in this country. Whereas, in fact, if they were taught very well at the beginning, that's where the basics, the foundations are laid. And therefore, you know, for me, it's 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 absolutely imperative. And the people that come here for the simulator workshops, mostly they've been riding many years, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 or even more. And, uh, you know, it's 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 because they've not had the good instruction in the first place. And, you know, they, they get such light bulb moments, you know, when when we tell them, you know, sort of show them what to do on the simulators and what have you. And many, many times, you know, people have said, well, why has nobody told me that before? They're yeah. quite angry almost. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's a lot of time invested. It is so simple. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, and after 46 years, you know, my enthusiasm to pass on the knowledge isn't dimmed, hence the online writing school. That's amazing, so, um, actually, Heather, that, yeah, that you haven't been burned out by all this, too. Well, uh, it's a bit like your father, isn't it? You know, yeah. I mean, look at him at his age, he, you know, he's still going strong. I think it's, he looks better than ever, he if anything. He loves it. He is passionate about it. In so, fact, he, he says something that I think it, you would agree with that I just heard you kind of allude to, which is he said, if all learning is from one to ten, Zero to one is the most important part of that whole learning Absolutely. curve. Yeah, it mm -hmm. really is, you know. And so, uh, so that's although I must confess that uh, I've had some success. I mean, I've I've been obviously the British Horse Society is our sort of governing body of um, you know sort of equestrian instruction etc. Here, and you know, I'm confess that I refused to do the exams when I was in my teens because I wasn't allowed at the time to teach what I had already found out. So I just said, well, you know, more or less, uh, you know, I'm not going to do it. And so I was told I'd never make a career outside the British Horse Society. And here I am 46 years later. I'm, I've been past chairman, county chairman here in Devon of the British Horse Society and uh, also still on the county committee. And because I believe in fighting from within. And so I had a massive rant on Facebook um, in the summer. I had a young student here from one of the colleges here in England, and she'd been so demoralized about her riding and been told that she was useless. And I was really angry about it. 
And so I put a massive rant on Facebook, which must have struck a chord because it had over 1,200 shares. Never, ever had such a post before. And I'm now in, in talks with the British Horse Society, the um, head of policy and the director of education came down to see me in, in October. And, and we are hoping to liaise more closely. Um, and one of my own enlightened equitation teachers is actually on the board of trustees, the national board. So, you know, I begin to feel that we're actually making some progress. Good. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. We we do need to keep evolving, don't we? And I I know when Martin Clunes got on there and was influential, isn't he great? You know, and he comes from a perspective that I love that is, uh, you know, let's, let's just be a little more. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah, let's be a little more realistic yeah. about everything. And he wants it to evolve too. So not to digress, but here's where I think I admire you so much too, besides history, you're taking it into the next generation. And to me, what you said struck a chord about the best instructors should be our foundational instructors, yeah, our teachers. Absolutely. And yeah. and your writing school, so I'm looking at the site right now, the online writing school, mm. Puts you in that position, doesn't it? If you're bringing in yeah. people that have not, yeah. Uh, tell us what yeah, how well, how you make the 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 transition from the book, which a, a beginner can pick up, to translating that into lessons. That must be a visual medium now, going from uh, reading. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the book is probably well, it is suitable for beginners, but more probably for adult beginners but I did actually um, write a book for beginners it's an ebook which I'm sort of revamping a little bit because I do feel that beginners need a bit more probably um, than is in the book the, the main book enlightened equitation because they don't know the terminology or anything we use in the horse world you know you've got to assume that they know nothing which which they do they know nothing and so whereas we might talk about rising trot or we might talk about being on the correct diagonal or what have you they wouldn't have a clue what you were talking about. And so the book then, you know, sort of um, went into much more um, depth about the very, very beginnings, even teaching you how to mount, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And a chapter on horse behavior as well, because that's something else I feel very strongly about, that riding shows should should be teaching about horse behavior because, you know, they people have no idea that, you know, one end of a horse bites and the other one can kick if you're not very careful. And, and they can be very very naive about such things and you know when I had a riding school years ago a much bigger riding school back in East Anglia you know you just wouldn't believe some of the things people did um you know it was a big big Hanoverian that I had who was a great horse um but his name was Nipper for a reason his nickname <laughs> his stable name and we had this elderly lady here that used to be on television as an animal sort of behaviorist Barbara Woodhouse I don't know oh, if you yes. heard of it yeah <laughs> Yeah. And she, walkies, she used to give let's go for walkies. walkies. Oh, <laughs> Thank you, Jen. I almost was going to say that. Yep. And uh, but she used to give horses polo mints out of her mouth. Oh. And I came around the corner one day to find this client's mother um, trying oh, to give no. Nipper a polo out of her mouth. I mean, how on earth she didn't get her whole nose taken off? I don't know. But um, oh. people just can be so stupid, and so they need to have you know, background information about yeah. horses. You know, I think this is the problem here in England in particular. People come for a lesson. The horse is tacked up or the pony's tacked up, and groomed, etc. Mm. They ride, they go home. Yeah. When I've taught on the continent, particularly in Holland, um, when I've, where I've taught quite a bit, you know, there's nearly always a clubhouse. 
Um, people tend to go in for a, a coffee or a beer or what have you afterwards, the adults anyway, not the children. Yeah. Um, and uh, they, you know, they, they are taught to groom and tack up their horses before they ride. And there's a much more social atmosphere as well. And And I think that's why people then learn more about sort of the other things to do with horses rather than just going and riding and going home. And it's more like a golf club or something would be here, which... Uh, you know, I think that's missing in, in the UK. I don't know what it's like in the States from that oh, point worse, of view. Oh, worse, probably, so, actually. Yeah, it could be probably no better anyway. But no, with the online riding school, you know, my always my message has been to try to spread the word of a kinder way to ride and train. And I'm just hoping that it will take off. I mean, the thing is, it's £6.99 a month, which of which YouTube take £2 of that from me anyway. <laughs> and... Uh, it's the price of a takeaway or a, um, most right. equestrian magazines are about £3.75, £4 here. Yeah. And yeah. So, you know, they've got something they can refer to, which is very specific topic each month, and it'll build up into a library. And, uh, but, you know, quite a few people have said, well, even £6.99 a month is too expensive. Yeah. And you think, well, you know, it's, it's whether or not they really want to learn for the That's sake right. of the horse and their own enjoyment and safety. So that's what I, it's all about, is to try to spread the word of a kinder way to ride and train in bite-sized chunks that people can, you know, just literally click on the category and, and get some very clear instruction about, um, you know, a particular subject. So we'll Perfect. be working later on, you know, I think next month we're doing feel and starting, you know, on the aids Um and then uh, we'll work it right the way through to later, all the lateral work, et cetera, and, and uh, gradually, you know, build up to doing high-level work too, hopefully. But um, that's that's the plan anyway, if it goes okay. Yeah, so. it's looking good. I'm looking at correct use of legs, quickly correcting faults, first time on a Would horse, that dismounting. Just, that was just, uh, I mean, they, those were just the, the, the free Foundation. Yeah, it's just yeah. the foundation um, ones, but, uh, instance, but they're all like, practical. They're all good. Saddle well, balance, use of reins. Legs yeah. one. The legs one, I mean, it was just something that was an impromptu moment a couple of years ago when somebody had been saying to me about the uh, the use of the leg um, on Facebook. And and so I thought, oh, I just that was just on my phone. Um, and so I just did literally, I don't know if it's about six minutes, seven minute videos, <laughs> something like that. And it had dozens of shares because mm -hmm. people, you know, it was, I was up at Kelly's actually a few years ago. She'd invited me up to do the um, horse psychology course and she put us all into groups and she said, um, right, okay, how do you get a horse in front of the leg? So I asked the rest of my group, how do you get a horse in front of the leg? And they said, well, you use more leg. Yeah, how do you use your legs? Well, you use more leg. Um, and I said, <laughs> How do you use your leg? But one, one of them stood up on one leg, you know, and sort of was squeezing upwards and backwards. I said, no, just try that with both. Well, I'd fall on my nose, wouldn't I? Yeah. Um, and I said, well, what do you think you do when you're on a horse? Um, and so, you know, it's yeah. that sort of thing that people are just not given the explanations for. And, you know, I just think it's such a shame that people miss out on so much of the communication with the horse. Because here in the UK, virtually very few people are taught the weight aids. Um, you try riding one of my Lusitanos, if, if the rider's not straight in the saddle, and they, they end up looking like they're drunk in charge of two pairs of Flapping legs. <laughs> you know? And uh, they're not taught the aids of the seat in downward transitions and for collection, etc. So all they've got <clears throat> are the hands and the legs. Now, that's what 
16 combinations, maximum combinations of aids you can have. You add the seat bones for directional purposes, you add the, the weight aids, you add the, the body weight, you add the body positioning. That's a whole language of aids that most people are missing out on. And that's what you know we want to try to encourage because again it's it's not rocket science it's so simple to do um and people make things far too difficult you know you've got enough to think about when you're on the back of the horse without making it unduly complicated so uh, yeah so well you, you have more experience in your little finger than than most people that will probably be accessing this at first so it's easy for you to say some somebody told me the story of picasso who was scribbling on a napkin and and some guys watching this thing unfold and says wow that's incredible and and he says how much will you charge for it and he gave some outrageous high number and the guy goes what you just spent five minutes and I goes no no I spent years training on this you know (laughs) so at a master level and that's what we want to get because you say it's not rocket science but man sometimes an instructor will confuse somebody to the point where they think this must be rocket science (laughs) it's really hard to do well I think I think some instructors make things complicated because it sounds too good and and I think you you get some books that are incredibly complicated in the way they're written and I think people then think it's got to be good if they can't understand it they think it's yeah. got to be good <laughs> and it's a bit like sort of lots of people bought you know sort of like Stephen Hawking's wonderful book if you could if you could understand it a brief history yeah. of mankind um because it was it sounded so complicated but most people couldn't understand it so you know and it's it's that sort of thing that that I think you know, it's, it's still prevalent in the horse world. Well, thanks again. Thanks for updating us. First of all, it's been about a year. I'm glad to have you on again. And and thank yeah. you for your um, sharing about your, your new venture here. Started last fall, basically. Well, thank you for asking me about it. So mm-hmm. I will be looking for you on Facebook because you put up a lot of tips and people should get on your Facebook page yep. and s- see your conversations there. They're um, wonderful yeah. sharing. Uh, we know some of our instructors, our Monty Roberts certified instructors are Kelly Marks, who you've mentioned, yeah. and Tessa Horan, right. and I don't Tessa know how Horan. many others. Yeah, yeah. Tessa Horan, mm-hmm. and we've got several of Kelly's um, RAs as well. They're um, with us too. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so we'll yeah, be was, seeing you in all the social medias and stay in touch with you, and I encourage people to uh, look you up. Whisper the language of the herd Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place and learn the magic in the Dear Monty, when I am witnessing an experienced horseman beating, I mean really beating a horse in an attempt to get it to load, what do I do? Do I have the authority to intervene? Monty's answer. You have the authority to intervene if the person is breaking the law. In this case, you should intervene. You can call your local emergency line and make a report or the animal welfare hotline if your community has one. If it's possible to videotape, you should do that so that the authorities can have evidence of the brutality. One should not be silent in these cases. It is your duty to speak out. I am sure that you care for horses a great deal or you wouldn't have bothered to ask this question. Let's assume for a moment that it was a dog or a child being beaten. My recommendation would be the same. It is not a good idea to confront violent people, especially while they are in a state of anger. It is not likely that one can make a significant difference while the brutality is in progress. It is, however, quite possible to make a great deal of difference by calling the proper authorities. 
Following these procedures can often prove to be a great favor to the violent person. He or she probably needs the help, and if everyone simply turns his head away, nothing will change. Many of these people were trained to do their work using extremely harsh measures. They actually think they are right. My goal as I work with people around the world is not to cast great blame on them, but to give them an alternative way to behave. Not only do I tell them about methods I feel are more, more humane and effective, but I also demonstrate for them using remedial horses so that I can show by example. Maybe someday you can carry on my work. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, Get Free Horse Tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too on our forum. And there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in Brazil in March. The 11th, 12th is a weekend in Brazil near Sao Paulo. Then March 18th, he'll be over in England. He'll head to Scotland first at the Ingliston Country Club, March 18th. And then March 25, he'll head to Kingston Marwood College with Martin Clunes, Doc Martin, at Dorchester, Dorset, UK. Then he's going to go over to the Europe mainland, and March 31, he'll be in Munich. April 9th, he'll be in Redefin. April 20, he'll be in Dorsten. April 22, he'll be in Alsfeld. And then uh, we're going to skip some of the details to give you a, a, a look ahead to July, because we don't want anybody to miss out on that fast-filling, gentling wild horses course at Flag is Up Farms. That's July 10 through 21. Mark that on your calendars. And then July 31, following that, to August 4th, will be Monty's special training at Flag is Up Farms. And uh, I know that was a lot to say, Jen, so what do we do to That's get them much. to a place where they can read it? <laughs> well, that can all be found at MontyRoberts.com. And I want had a quick question for you. Mm-hmm. Gentling Wild Horses course at Flag is Up mm-hmm. Farm on July 10th mm-hmm. through the 21st. That's one course that you sign up for. Do That's you, right. Do you bring your own wild horse or are there wild horses Wouldn't there? that be interesting? Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> I was curious. <laughs> We have never had anybody bring their own. Well, no, (laughs) no, actually what we've done is there's two sources that we've done for the last couple of years on these. One is um, called Ralph and Ralph, uh, he brings up these horses. He raises up babies and uh, into their twos and threes and fours up on the wild mountains behind us up in flag is near flag is up farms in, in the San Inez Valley in California. He raises a, Percheron, he raises Percheron quarter horse cross. There's, there's secret sauce in there that we're not sure about either. But there are these huge platter feet, and the but the <laughs> nicest, oh, they're Nigel's cousins. <laughs> exactly, they look a little bit like Nigel, but um, but they are bred 
to go into a bucking string. And you might go, bucking string? They are the gentlest horses. But guess what? They're real athletes. So we bring some of those in. And we also, we have been known the last two years to adopt BLM, Bureau of Land Management, wild Mustangs from the, some have been on the, just off the desert and some were in the holding pens. So we adopt those and keep those and gentle those with our students throughout the year. But they start like right off of a stock trailer, uh, just, you know, just yeah. dumped, not dumped, but, you know, um, pour- open the gate and pour <laughs> them in pour them to in. these little, little catch pens and away the students work. And we get to touching on them and just, you know, That's literally – a few days. And, and then the, the course goes for two weeks. So by the end, God willing, they are coming at, they're being led and we lead them over to the round pens across the yard. And Jamie Jennings did, went through this and you know, any horseman who just loves the whole nature of horse and wants to be safe and be around it. We've had total beginners in that pen and we've had total professionals in that pen and they all are basically at the same level when you put them in like that, but everything is safe. We uh, exactly, we have to have to stress here that the gentling wild horse course is literally customized from student to student. Each student is going to grow and learn and interact with those horses at his own pace in that it's not a case of today you're going to do join up. Let's toss you in the round pen. No. <laughs> Monty, Monty no, keeps know. this all very much controlled so that each student is incrementally learning to become, uh, to become, yeah. what's the word I want, versed in the language of Equus so he can communicate safely and effectively. It's not just one size fits all. Everybody tosses in here and, and no. you know. It's not like yeah. that at all. <laughs> yeah, and, and everybody signs up for this too. So if they, you know, if they're not comfortable getting into the, the there's auditors as well. Um, most of the time though, we've found that everybody wants to get in because when they're in safety shoots and area, we have them in areas that um, you can touch a wild horse because the horse is starting to trust already at that point. And then once you get to touching and they start to trust you and realize that you're not, you know, doing anything that's harmed them or caused any pain. In fact, hey, could you rub that spot over my wither one more time. I kind of like that, you know, <laughs> they start to get into it and it's just, it's just wonderful to see. It is really communicating with a wild animal that says, I really want to trust you. And it's interspecies communication because it's gestural, like signing for the death. Yeah. And so when you get into showing them with your body that you're trustworthy and there's no pain connected with the human body, they, they want to be your partner. They, that's what I love about horses. There you go. If you always wanted to be the little boy on the beach in the Black Stallion movie, yeah. here's your opportunity. You can sign up for the Gentle Wild, Gentling Wild Horses Clinic. Won't be riding them that week. Well, though, we I won't promise. be riding them, but next best thing. <laughs> and that's July 10th through the 21st of 2017. And it's at Flag is Up Farm in California. And as I said, you can find all the information at MontyRoberts.com. Or you can give them a call at Flag is Up Farms. The phone number there is 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, you can go to horsemanshipradio.com where we'll have links to our guests and photos and more information. And we love your feedback. We want to hear from you on the Facebook page. The Facebook page is Monty Roberts. Fancy that. And if you're one of those people that lives your life 125 characters at a time, Monty Roberts is on Twitter. And his handle is Monty underscore Roberts. 
and go get your app so you don't miss any episodes. Horse Radio Network has an app that works on Android or iPhone. Go to your app store and download it today. It's quick, it's free, and it's easy. Or if you're old school, you can subscribe via iTunes. That's right. Yeah. And many, isn't that crazy to say that? <laughs> uh, many, <laughs> that no, I don't need that at all. No, but um, but many thanks to our sponsors who make this program Yay! possible. Yes, that's IFA.com. Thank you, Mark Hebner. And we've got Omega Fields. Thank you, Sean. And we've got MontyRobertsUniversity.com. And you can imagine that would be thank you, Monty. So be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. And until next time, have many happy horse hours. <laughs> 